0: Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
1: Well, Louis Theroux raps about it. My money, don't jiggle, jiggle, it folds. And Rihanna at the Super Bowl final rants about it. Give me your money, pay me what you owe me. And for the oldies amongst us, you know, it's a rich man's world, ABBA, or it's a gas, Pink Floyd, or the material gold, Madonna. They all sing about it. The next uh, three weeks, after 31 chapters in just sort of eight or nine weeks in the book of 1 Samuel, quite a marathon, we're going to be considering just six verses of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. And having spent a great deal of time preoccupied with the Church of England and concerns over sexual purity and that sort of thing, I thought it'd be really good for us to spend three weeks considering a completely different area which I hope we're going to find really challenging, uh, very exciting, and the source of deep and lasting joy. Now, there is no doubt that Madonna is right. It is a material world. But as we come to Jesus' teaching, it's clear that Madonna wasn't making any strikingly new observation. In every culture, in every age, this world is material and For so many, money is what makes the world go round. Actually, this morning, just by way of clarification, we're going to see two ways in which our subject is not precisely money. So glance at the end of the six verses, verse 24 there in chapter 6, you cannot serve God and money. The word for money there is mammon, mammon. And that word translates a a word meaning, in its root, that in which we place our trust. So I guess you can't serve God and possessions. Now, I know there'll be some of us sitting here thinking, I know I can. Well, come back in two weeks time and we're going to find out we can't. But you can see that it's possessions rather than money, strictly speaking, money precisely, And that means that we're going to be talking about stuff for the next few weeks. Yeah, investments and bank balances and pension schemes, but equally flats and houses and shoes and handbags and paintings and jewellery and education and position and qualifications and achievement and promotion and that in which we put our trust. Now, that's the first way in which our subject this morning isn't precisely money. And we'll come to the second in just a few minutes' time, which I think you may find quite a surprise. I certainly have. But for now, there are three points to this morning's talk, one from verse 19, one from verse 20, and one from verse 21. Riches that rot, verse 19, savings that are safe, verse 20, treasure that tethers. Rotting riches, safe savings, tethering treasure. Let's start with the riches that rot, and I say rot because if you look in verse 19, that word translated rust, it translates a word literally means to, to eat up. It's not quite as precise as rust. Then, though, those of us who've had things that have rusted will realize that it does eat up. But other things rust, don't they? Such as rot and rats. And the moth consumed your treasure in Jesus' day because riches were often stored in precious garments. Think of Naaman. When he came to be healed of his leprosy, he brought as presents precious garments, two of them. Solomon's wealth is brought to him in part in garments. That's how you stored wealth. And so Jesus' point is true for every age. Riches rot. (laughs) Ah, says somebody, not mine, they're safe in the bank. Really? Doesn't happen to be Credit Suisse, does it? Or Silicon Valley, or Signature, or First Republic, or Goldman's? (laughs) What short memories we have. Remember the market crash at the start of the pandemic? Or 2007? 2007? Have you pondered the imminent housing slump? So all of Scripture speaks of fleeting nature of riches. Ecclesiastes, along with pleasure and food and work and enjoyment and life itself, riches are but a vanity, but a breath, ephemeral, passing. We can't take them with us, and wealth then is like the cloud on our vape or our breath on a deep midwinter morning. And so verse 19, don't lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Oh, yeah, but my money is secure in a vault. Is that in Hatton Garden? All of us will have friends whose houses have burnt to the ground. I can think of three. Let me ask us to conduct a, a brief experiment. As we go home for lunch this afternoon, Glance around your flat. What's it worth? How long will it last? What can we take with us? That is, of course, to assume that even now the flames aren't licking at the curtain in your bedroom. Did you turn the tumble dryer off? Now, before we go any further, we must pause and consider this. Jesus is not saying that money is evil. There is a kind of envy politics, isn't there, a kind of envy in, 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 around in the world that sort of thinks money is evil, especially if I haven't got any money is evil. Now, Christians aren't dualists thinking that matter is bad and only the spiritual, the intellectual is good. God made our possessions, and money and possessions can do a huge amount of good. Think of Priscilla and Aquila. They supported Paul. Gaius and Philemon and Nympha, their generous hospitality housed the early church. The Philippians and the Macedonians, out of their poverty, made tremendous contribution to gospel ministry. The church in Rome sponsored Paul in his trip to Spain. Phoebe was a patron of gospel ministry. Turn, if you would, to page 1196, page 1196, and have a look at chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 17. Notice what Paul does not say to the rich and what he does. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich, you there, page 1196. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to sell up and give everything away. No, he doesn't say that. Charge them not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So keep a finger there, because we'll have another verse in 1 Timothy in just a moment. But Jesus does not tell the rich to sell up, move to farm lentils in North Wales, and live off nettle soup for the rest of their lives. It's not money that is bad. It's the love of money, not money itself that is evil. Money can do huge amounts of good Nor is saving for a rainy day a bad thing. You know, in the Bible, God commends the ant for working hard so that it'll have something to eat in a few months' time. And if you just turn back a page to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So saving for a rainy day is not forbidden, and nor are we to disdain or despise the good things that God has given us richly to enjoy in this creation. And so-called Christians who do despise and disdain good things are corrected in no uncertain terms by Paul in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse 4, everything created by God is good, nothing is to be rejected, If it's received with thanksgiving, it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Okay, so we can turn back to Matthew with those kind of correctives and qualifications. Chapter 6, verse 19, 9, 7, 8 is the page. And just look at the verse closely, and I wonder if you've noticed this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. It's the storing up of possessions for ourselves. And that's what Jesus is speaking against. I mean, it's not ours anyway. It's a gift from God. It won't last anyway. We can't take it with us. Don't hoard it. And it will do immense damage to our walk with the Lord, as we'll see in just a moment. I'm so glad we had Psalm 49 read. The wealthy, he, sorry, he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, though they called lands by their own names. So there are the riches that rot. Don't store them up for yourself. It's a straight command. Well, what kind of saving is secure then? That takes us to verse 20 and safe savings. Because in verse 20, there's another treasure. And the word lay up is the same word as the word for treasure. One is a noun, the other is a verb. And verse 19 reads, do not treasure up for yourselves treasure on earth. And verse 20, but treasure up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Both of them are commands. So the point is not that we shouldn't have treasure. The point is that we should seek to cultivate the right kind of treasure. And Jesus tells us that there is a kind of treasure that is 100% guilt-edged. See verse 20? Neither moth nor rust destroys it. Thieves do not break in and steal it. Nothing will devalue this investment. It's triple-A rated Do you know how some wealthy people have financial advisors? Have you ever come across people who have financial advisors? And there are a lot of financial advisors who work here in the city, wealth managers. They're very smooth and charming. They have to be. They have to deal with the rich. Perhaps uh, when somebody says, what did you do on Sunday morning? You could say, you know, I went to speak to my wealth manager, whoever you are in the building. All of us have this financial advisor. His name is Jesus, and he is the most successful financial advisor this world has ever known. You know, his investment advice has never failed. Every asset he recommends has only ever gone up in value. He's never failed to pick the right stocks, and no market downturn has ever left his portfolio exposed. So there is a particularly fabulously wealthy guy called Warren Buffett. And he has this marvelous phrase. I wish I had an American accent to give it in. It's only when the tide goes out that you get to see who isn't wearing any shorts. By shorts, he means swimming trunks. He's American. But you see, the tide has never gone out on Jesus' investment advice. The question has to be answered then, what is this treasure in heaven and where do we find it? I think that's quite important. And here we see the second way in which verses 19 and 20 are not precisely about money. And what I want us to do is to plug these verses into the context of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole And we will see that as Jesus asks us to treasure up for ourselves treasure in heaven, he's not first and foremost talking about hard cash. So what I've done is on the outline here under point two is I've just sketched out for us the structure of the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll see the Sermon on the Mount is very, very tightly and carefully put together. And it begins with a description of the beautiful life. And it finishes with two ways to live. And under its description of the beautiful life, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can't be more wealthy than that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the mourning there is mourning our sin. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So those who come to the Lord Jesus, not from a position of ego, look at me, but on their knees, have mercy on me, are truly blessed. This is the beautiful life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers those who are persecuted for following Jesus. So the beautiful life, this is it. And the opening description of the beautiful life is then followed by Jesus' moral teaching, which is designed to expose us and to show us that we haven't got a leg to stand on so that we come to the Lord Jesus saying, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then we have his spiritual teaching. And the very center point of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you knew that. Structurally, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that this is the pearl of great price. This is the precious reality that the Sermon on the Mount is all about. There is a God in heaven. And we can speak to our father as a child to their father. And this relationship is the very essence of the beautiful life, our father in heaven. Now, to that extent, when Jesus says in verse 20, treasure up for yourselves treasure in heaven... Do you know, we begin to enjoy and experience the beautiful life here and now. And this beautiful life is lived out with our Father today, seeking his glory, his kingdom, his will, and it is the most precious thing the world affords. Treasure it up. It's Victor Hugo, I believe, who said, life's greatest happiness is to be convinced that you are loved. And the Christian man or woman, boy or girl, can say, I am loved by the creator of the universe. And that stands for eternity. Well, having laid out the beautiful life and God's standard for morality, which you have failed, and so have I, and the essence of true spirituality, our Father in heaven, Jesus then goes on to speak about things that will spoil our relationship. And one of them is storing up material treasure on earth rather than treasuring the relationship with our Father. And so there are a couple of ways in which riches rot. I mean, they rot because riches rot. But you see, if we store them up for ourselves, well, riches can really rot up our ability to enjoy the most precious thing this world has got, which stands to eternity, unlike the riches that rot. The treasure is the relationship with the Father, where the honor of his name is our chief concern. The treasure is the treasure in which his kingdom becomes our primary passion On this earth, the treasure is the furthering of His heavenly will as our urgent desire. The treasure is seeking first His kingdom. The treasure cannot be taken away from us. The treasure will never perish. The treasure will never rot or spoil. The treasure is safe treasure up for yourselves, treasure in heaven. And the treasure is this living relationship which we begin to enjoy, if you like, spending our capital today. As we invest ourselves in the only thing that really lasts, not another property or another handbag or another pair of shoes or something like that that's going to rot, but a relationship with the Father. One of the things that shows I'm really getting pretty old is that I actually enjoy watching on a Sunday evening after church, you know, all day at church just to relax, the Antiques Roadshow. Okay, it's not so bad that I started watching Bargain Hunt or Flog It, but it's pretty bad. And uh, did you see the one with that uh, lady who had a collection of Chang Long 18th century carvings from the great Qing dynasty? It had been acquired for less than $100, and then there were four items, and the cheapest was now worth $40,000, the next $100,000, the next $250,000, and the next 500000 And I did notice that unlike everybody else, she did not say, well, I'm not going to sell that. I should think she went straight off to the auction house with it. But what's on offer, you see? in the Christian faith, is something far, far, far more valuable. Treasure it up. A relationship. For those who recognize they're poor in spirit, who are prepared to mourn their sin, who are meek and lay aside their ego and come to the Lord Jesus on their knees, who hunger and thirst for righteousness and are transformed into people with pure hearts and peacemakers, and those who are prepared to be persecuted for their discipleship of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is so encouraging for us this morning because, you know, it doesn't really matter whether our resources are great or small, whether there are two zeros on the end of our monthly pay packet or three, four or five. It doesn't matter whether we're a penniless student or an impoverished teenager with a minimal allowance or whether we're stacking shelves or working at McDonald's on a minimum wage. Every single one of us in this room can be investing in treasure that lasts and enjoying it today. A relational experience with the living God is where it is at. And I suppose this is one area in which re-examining these verses has changed my thinking because so often I think I thought that verse 20 means we should spend our money, our capital today on gospel work, so that we'll be rich in heaven when we get there, that it's a purely financial thing. But that's not what it's about at all. Is about being passionate in relationship with the living God, growing in our knowledge of our Father in heaven, pursuing His kingdom and His glory and His honor as our primary goal, seeking first His kingdom. And this, of course, fits the whole of the Gospel of Matthew and the whole of the Bible story. It's not transactional, it is relational. It's not painful, it is joyful. It's not even grit your teeth, grin and bear it today, and then when we get to heaven, oh, well, that'd be fantastic. No, because you start enjoying it today. There's no insurance cover needed, no fear of a downturn, no midnight sweats over what the Asian markets might be doing. And the treasure in heaven is to be enjoyed today as it will be enjoyed in eternity. And in that sense, every Christian is a gospel patron to signal out some people as gospel patrons is most unusual and strange. And those of us who are really stretched in our finances and facing the need to cut back our giving because of the economic downturn, that doesn't change our ability one little bit to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Because the treasure is the relationship with our Father. And yet, it has to involve our money, doesn't it? Because Jesus says, Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. Well, I had an unsolicited and unprompted email this week from the leader of our youth ministry. He's a very naughty boy called Will War, and some of you all know him well. And his email went like this: I've got two bits of advice. Well, actually, he had seven or eight, but I'm only going to repeat two of them to you. The first was to listen to Louis Threw's rap my money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds, which I have done, and I've watched the Duke Jones, Duke and Jones version and the Chicken Chop Girl and all the rest of that sort of stuff. Okay, so I've done all that. I think he was hoping that I might give a rendition. That is not going to (laughs) happen. But the other thing he said, which I thought was, was really helpful, is he said this, you know, it would be so good if our families from the very earliest stage, prayed and talked together at the family table about our finances so that we're teaching our children why we give, how we give, so that part of the joy of giving and being involved in the Father's work with all of our possessions becomes a joy to them. I thought, I wish we'd done more of that. made me think that, you know, I've spoken with many, many people about finances over the years. I don't make it a major topic, but, uh, you know, people raise it. And one after another has said to me, wealthy or poor, that the thing that gives them such joy is using their resources in relationship with the Father in heaven. I mean, it's a wonderful privilege. And there will be some here whose resources really are very, very substantial, and to someone with a city bonus, you know, have you ever thought of giving it all away? You'd love it. It would be so exciting. Such joy. And there'll be some newly qualified lawyers on over 100000 a year. Can you believe that? They pay people far more than they're worth. <laughs> have you ever thought of giving 30% of it away? Why not? Why wouldn't you? What joy. Well, the final statement in verse 21 contains the next really big surprise. And I think this is the thing that is most surprising if we haven't seen it. Treasure that tethers. So riches that rot, safe savings, tethering treasure. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, as you look closely at that, would you ever have written it that way round? You know, my favorite preachers, our favorite preachers would say something like this. You've got to work on people's love, what they're passionate about. They've got to be really passionate and they've got to desire the right things. Now, work us up to be desiring the right things. Well, there's a sense in which Jesus is doing that in verse 20. But in verse 21... He doesn't say, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. He puts it exactly the other way around. And that's because Jesus knows us far better than our favorite preacher. So, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And isn't that the case? When you've got a portfolio, when you've got some savings, when you've got something, isn't that where your mind goes? And so says, Jesus, don't store it up for yourself. Give it away. It would be dangerous not to. If we store up treasure, the treasure we have stored up will capture us. And Jesus knows us far too well and loves us far too much to be anything other than very concrete. Okay, somebody says to me, how can it be that I might end up doing such a thing, i.e. living this kind of way? And the answer is, come back next week and we'll see in verse 22, 23. Because next week, having been to the financial advisor this week, our financial advisor next week will say, I think you need to go to the optician. And so next week, we'll be up with our ophthalmologist. Well, here's a second exercise for us. Given verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, have we thought then of raising our giving by 10% or more this year? Why not? Well, it may be that it would impoverish us. Don't do that. It may mean that we wouldn't be able to support our relatives or we wouldn't be able to support ourselves in old age. Well, don't do that. But actually, to raise our giving by 10% or 15% or more than that, whatever, have we thought of giving a chunk of our savings away? Why not? Indeed, I think the Lord Jesus might say to us, can we afford not to? I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we we praise you that we can call you our Father and that you in your extraordinary grace give us a window into the kingdom of heaven and a part in your great eternal purposes. And we thank you that we are able to store up treasure, this precious relationship with you, our Father in heaven, that comes to us in and through the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to obey these commands of Jesus. In his name, amen.